You're listening to The Reality Show, hosted by Dan Rutstein, president of immersive tech company, Laduma. Each episode delves deep into the power and potential of immersive technology in business, entertainment, or sport, now and in the future. Welcome back to The Reality Show. So today I find myself at The Mill, which is uh, a company with offices all over America doing some extraordinary things in in visual effects but also in immersive tech. Um, Now, the episode is only 30 minutes long so we don't have the time to list all of the achievements of the company, nor do we have time to list all the achievements of the man sitting opposite me today. Um, but I'll let him introduce himself uh, and tell us a little bit about how we got to the mill and who he is. But let's start with welcoming the creative director of the mill, uh, Gawain Lydiard. Thank you very much. Thanks for, for being on this podcast. Now, we've known each other on and off for a few years because you have entered awards that the British yes. government are running. We've been on panels together. Um, but here's a chance to sit down and get into a lot more depth. So... Tell me your immersive tech entry story. How did you get into a job like this? Um, almost by accident, I'd have to say. That uh, I'd always had, even growing up, an interest in art and science, uh, and that led towards computer graphics just because they were a natural mix of, of those two sort of talents. Um, and as I started to get into computer graphics, I realised how much they were being used in visual effects and that emerging industry particularly in London at the time. Um, and so it wasn't that I set out with the goal of uh, I'm going to be in visual effects and uh, this style of media, it's something that I just ended up in and then really loved it. Um, and then working in London, I always looked across to Hollywood as sort of the source of the industry and, and a place to come and learn so much more and get hands-on, get out on set, get hands-on cameras, learn about how things are filmed and created as media projects and so that inspired me to move out to LA and then once I was out here there was the explosion of VR and AR uh, and that instantly grabbed my attention and uh, I kind of had that skill set of understanding cameras that I devoted a lot of personal time learning about Um, and that allowed me to to jump in right at the start of VR uh, when Oculus was still a company working out of a garage when headsets really weren't around uh, the first projects we looked at were actually with uh, Google and looking at how they could just use a, a mobile phone as sort of this magic window that you can look around a, a 360 piece of media. And so it was really getting in on the, the ground floor of those kind of medias that allowed me to, to see this big boom in an area that we now refer to as creative technology or immersive technology. And the, the company you're with have been at the, the forefront of that boom. So. We'll do a bit of the journey in a second, but in terms of where we are today, talk about sort of where you think you're positioned in this industry and some of the things that you're doing that excite you. Yeah, I think there's... The interesting thing about the, the mill and, and our, our position in the industry is because everything we've done has been technology-based, whilst it started out as being a focus on, on visual effects, all those things that we learnt doing complex visual effects, uh, big di- digital images, understanding how those images are made, uh, and then also with that, understanding the marketplace in which we work. So 
we've had a real focus on commercials out here in the US and now we're getting back into the full film industry. That understanding of the entire marketplace and how to make really complex media meant that when these mediums came around, when something like AR showed up, we already knew how to do it. Um, and so it allowed us to sort of take those tools that people were creating and use them in a creative way that we knew, like, great, the market looks, uh, you know, is looking for stories, it's looking for narratives, it's looking for how to attach those to brands to make a really positive message. We already know all of that stuff, so naturally we can step in as sort of thought leaders and, and push the boundaries of what you can do with those uh, technologies. So let's talk about AR first, uh, and particularly one of your products, which... Uh, I've seen showed off on many occasions because it's very clever. Um, so talk about the the car and Blackbird. the Blackbird uh, and how you've changed how car adverts can be done using this technology. Sure. That's, yeah, it's a nice another little uh, history story there of what we've done as a company because we we used to be really well known and still are um, for doing car commercials and it's something we've done again and again and again. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the cars you see in car commercials are either completely digital or augmented with digital elements. Um, and that's for reasons like you can't get the right car to the, the right location. You're obviously trying to make a commercial for a car that's about to be released. So uh, getting that car out of embargo, getting it onto a real road to film a commercial with can be really challenging. And then we even see that we'll go and film an entire campaign uh, and then something in the creative brief will change or the, the package that the, the manufacturer is trying to sell will change. They want to put a different color uh, car in the commercial and so we have to change the car anyway even though we had the right car. So for all those reasons we started to realize we're doing this so often, we're changing cars, there must be a better way, there must be a preemptive way of filming commercials uh, with something akin to motion capture or a stand-in that can allow us to make the commercial with any car that the, the manufacturer wants. Uh, so that led us to developing what we call the Blackbird, which is a modular electric car. Uh, it has a very low profile. Uh, it can change the wheelbase to match essentially any car you want. And then it's loaded with technology to record uh, the light information that's hitting that car, how it's tracking, how it's moving down a road. Uh, and we can take it out and film it. So we film it. Um, almost like you would film a traditional car commercial where you have a pursuit vehicle which is mounted with a full film quality uh, cinema camera and you film the the Blackbird, our electric car, um, as the stand-in for whatever car you want it to be in the commercial and that captures all the information, captures the dynamics uh, and then allows us to go and edit and create a commercial and then really we have the option to select whatever model, colour, trim and drop that into the commercial laid over the Blackbird. So left-hand drive, right-hand drive, sunroof, exactly. no sunroof, sports yep. car, SUV, the whole lot. And then you start to think about, the, we've pushed that further, so we've started to look at um, how can we do things like tie-in game engine rendering and real-time rendering so that you can make that, that interaction with the commercial even more responsive. So we did a, a really interesting project in collaboration with Chevy and Epic Games using their Unreal uh, game engine. And that pushed that next step of saying, well, what happens if we, we film a commercial but we keep that commercial interactive as it's rolled out? Uh, and so all the effects in that commercial, the human race, were done in the Unreal Engine. And you can actually watch that commercial and then select which version of, I believe it's the Camaro car, so you can change the color, uh, you can change the bodywork, 
uh, in real time whilst watching the commercial. And then so is it sort of like a, a cross between sort of volumetric capture? So you're taking a you know digital image you're creating, mm. and then rather than just putting it on a TV screen as a normal car commercial, actually using it for other immersive uses. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's you start to extrapolate from there, and you start to see those options. Of think about all the banners when your brand is browsing the internet, all the, the advertising that is strangely tailored to what you've just looked for. So you happen to look for um, a new car a few days ago, and now every time you check your emails, there's a banner telling you, why don't you come and look at these new cars? Um, so you start to think about how interactive that advertising is. How could we get more focus? How could that banner be not just a car that you might be interested in, but a commercial that's tailored to you, that's the colors that you're interested in? Uh, how can we allow you to have an influence on that so that when you visit a, a, a car configurator website, um, that it feels like it's, it's really tailored and echoing your interest, your personal style. So it's, it's building towards that, of what's that new wave of commercial media that leverages those technologies. And how did your clients respond to this? Because obviously one of the things we've talked to other guests about as you develop new technologies is trying to explain these things to other people and how they can use it. So when you first sat down with a client and said, we don't actually need your car this time, how, how did that conversation go? Did they really understand what you were capable of doing with them? That's a really good question. I think, I think through our history uh, of working with so many of the manufacturers, you know, we've gotten to a point as a company where we have that direct brand relationship with a lot of those manufacturers. We're trusted with their, their CAD data before it's even released as a final model. Um, we have those sort of digital libraries. So they trust us and they understand that we already hold that data for them and they expect that we are using it in their commercials. So I think a lot of them understood the concept really early on. It's still a question of how do they fit it into uh, an advertising campaign or how do they make it part of their sales mechanism. So I think that's what they're still grappling with. But you, you start to look at those statistics and we've sat down and spoken with a lot of the OEM manufacturers about how are people interacting with you as a, a brand. Um, and just as an example, a current example, like the, the new launch of, I think it's uh, the latest version of the Corvette. It's not a, a project that we've had part in, but you see that they launch the car configurator as they're announcing the car, because that's people's instant reaction is, yeah. great, I love the look of that car, I want to go and dial in all my little ideas, even if I'm never going to buy it, I just want to play with it. Um, so I think from that, they're starting to catch up and they're starting to understand what that importance is. Uh, and you see a, a total shift in the market, even for you know groups like Tesla, that they don't have the big out-of-town parking lots full of cars. It's it's small uh, inner-city showrooms that are tailored, and and it's you start to think about well, if you have that small inner-city showroom, how do you still showcase a car? And it's through technologies like the Blackbird and through that interactive market. It's really interesting that the technology is so fundamental a part of a launch now and it's being mm. thought about that. I mean, there was an AR game I think I saw coming out of a magazine advert, I think it was for Vespa, where you could, you could have a Vespa driving around on your sort of coffee table, changing the different colours of it. And again, it's. It was, was, that, was that you guys? Was that? No, I, but I know exactly the kind of thing that you, you're talking about, you know. Uh, had a lot of interesting conversations with people like uh, Porsche um, 
and how important those aspects are for them, that they've done a huge amount of work in that area of that ability to see that aspirational image of dropping an AR Porsche in front of your house uh, and how much better your lifestyle, lifestyle sort of seems with like, oh yeah, that's, that's what it'd be like to have a Porsche parked out the front of my house. Yeah, particularly if you can then swipe and have it back to a, I won't name a manufacturer, <laughs> but you know, or you can have this car outside exactly. your house instead. And they, they've played with those exact um, sort of ideas of like, well, it needs to sit over the top of your current car. So it's like, what, what is that lifestyle upgrade of seeing yeah. a digital version overlaid on top of your How car? pleasing is this sort of shift for you, given that you are, this is your sort of your career, but also your passion, the fact that understanding the engagement levels you get from immersive tech is now becoming much more part of a daily conversation. The fact that people are thinking about this stuff, does, does that please you? It does. Um, I think though the, the part that I get out of it personally, like, like I was saying, my history was coming in through through film. Uh, you know, I can remember poring over films as a kid, uh, and cinema being such a big part of of entertainment that I enjoy. Um, and what I like about the immersive tech, and particularly things like VR or um, the the immersive projections that you can do, how you can sort of just shape reality around you is you get that massive impact that something like a feature film has, that you're merging uh, those realities and you're giving people a, a special experience, which to me is so much more important than a traditional commercial. I, I love that about the change in the commercial landscape that we've gone from annoying people with commercials, like bombarding and interrupting you watching a film or watching your, your favorite TV shows or trying to annoy you on a street with big billboards to let's give you a meaningful experience, let's make it a pleasurable thing for you to engage with brands. Uh, and so I really like that that shift. Uh, yeah. That's what I, I really enjoy out of it. I think, I'm not sure it's not the case, I want to get my fact exactly right, but I think one of the most successful sort of native advertising campaigns was when, before the Super Bowl, there was a Snapchat filter where you could pour a, a Gatorade cooler mm. over your head yep. and as a celebration and it was shared millions of times by people and it was theoretically an advert but obviously it was immersive and engaging so completely exactly. changed how it was exactly and i think that's a great example like we do a huge amount of facebook filters and a lot of people look at them and think they're trivial but if you get it right it becomes a social comment which is exactly what you're saying about that gatorade filter so when we try and design those for brands, we're trying to bring them in that direction of like, look, you have to think about this from a different perspective. It's not about slapping your logo or your brand over the top of someone else's image. It is giving that person a tool for them to use on a daily basis. So give them something like that, like a celebration effect that they can use to, to celebrate or use ironically of, um, you know, we see examples of people using those kind of filters where they, they go to their kitchen and they've run out of donuts and they want to comment on that using one of these filters. So we did a, a filter where it was, you could drop um, the blue, the, the dinosaur character, the raptor character from uh, uh, the Jurassic series into your world and, and sort of have him sitting there. And you can use it in that effect of like, you know, there's your empty donut box and now you can drop blue in there and share that and so it's using it as a social commentary and yeah. it becomes a meme and so it lives beyond just being a branded experience. 
Because I remember when I first engaged with Emil, I think I gave a speech once and I was mentioning the company and that particular year you had, you had done 28 of the Super Bowl ads and obviously mm. the Super Bowl has, has traditionally been one of your busiest times. Is the days of just doing a really cool Super Bowl ad that appears only on the Super Bowl, you know, at half time, is that almost over now because of this desire to do other things? I know that some of these Super Bowl ads weirdly get released in advance of the game exactly. online, but more than that, are you expected to have some kind of immersive AR or VR experience that goes with that campaign running alongside? Is that the f- absolutely? And I think, I think there's days of it just being about the ad time slot died quite a while ago. Actually, that it is all about, like you say, it's the sort of the teasing pre-release. It's you know the voting of which commercial is most popular. Um, they have to be more than just that one thirty-second time slot. There needs to be a, a strategy and a campaign and a reason that people want to engage more. Um, that maybe that thirty-second slot, there is a two-minute sort of anthem version of it that lives online. And it, I like again, I like the fact of that because it drives us to make better quality media that. Uh, we can't, we can't talk down to the audience in any way. We have to do something that justifies why they would then go and find that deeper immersive world. Why would they want to see that 30 second commercial and then go and find the, the two or three minute version of it and engage with that. Yeah. So talking about sort of a, d- a deeper experience, let's talk about some of the VR stuff that you do because you've, as a company, you've been doing sort of VR stuff for quite a while now. Tell us about some of the, the things you have worked on that have been highlights and some of the things you are working on now. Um, so again, going back to the, the very start when we started looking at VR um, and we started working at projects with Google, that led to, to one of the most exciting projects I've ever been involved with, which was with the Spotlight Studios Stories group from uh, Google's ATAP division. The ATAP is there. Advanced Technologies and Products, I believe, was what that acronym stood for. Um, And they're a fascinating, super exciting group uh, at that point, headed by Regina Dungan, who was ex-DARPA, so really the elite of technology in the world. And the fact that they decided to invest a ton of effort in creating an immersive story was was fascinating to me. Uh, And then they partnered with Justin Lin, who is known for uh, the Fast and Furious films, uh, along with I think Star Trek Beyond and a ton of amazing media Um, and so you start to partner those two together and what they came up with was a immersive film called Help it's about a five minute long essentially blockbuster in 360 film Uh, so typical of Justin he just wanted to do the biggest thing possible so it follows this little narrative of uh, an alien crash landing in LA and he's just trying to get home but inadvertently as he gets angry and frustrated he grows from like sort of three foot tall little friendly guy up to 300 foot tall and destroying buildings um, and so trying to do that right at the start of when VR was emerging before even headsets had been released uh, again it was originally concepted as just viewing it on your mobile phone um, was fascinating like we had to invent camera rigs we had to build our entire pipeline again here in uh, visual effects we had to reimagine all of that so that to me was just exactly why I like to be part of this injury series. Creative, exciting, and a huge technical challenge. I think, I've, I, think I may have tried that one mm. here. Do you go underground at some point? Or yeah, you go through a train station. Yeah, okay, yes, yeah, so I have done that. Oh, it's brilliant. 
Does that still, if you were to look at that today, how would that compare? I'm trying, I think I did that experience here with a government visitor maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, how, how would that, because obviously it was cutting edge then, if you look at it now, did, did it age well? It's aged really well, that project. I think that was, it still stands as the most ambitious 360 film. Um, some people would argue that it's not true VR because it's not interactive. It doesn't allow you to walk around and sort of fully immerse yourself in it. It does just run as a, a 360 film that happens around you. Um, but in terms of that strain of immersive media, I feel like it still stands as probably the most ambitious uh, project created. And then, yeah, I think the if you look at it in that context, it holds up really well. I think what's interesting about modern VR is people's expectations have grown. Yeah, it's interesting the fact that because it's a great piece of theatre and storytelling, mm. and it you know uses the different angles and you can look around in the way that you're getting that extra level of immersion. But it isn't interactive. And now there is an expectation that everything is interactive to an extent. Exactly. Yeah, and so we see that change, and now I think there's there's been a shift in VR. People have recognised maybe this isn't the mass consumer product that everyone hoped for or expected, but what it does allow is, you know, particularly location-based VR things like the Positron chair allows you to sit in and it has some motion to it, uh, and we've worked on experiences that that filter into that. And to me, what's so exciting about that is it's the same as the analogy I was making about cinema and about how we can now take something that used to only happen in the cinema on this big exclusive screen and make it feel like you can interact with media at a similar scale in your home, whether it's through your phone. And the modern VR gives you that theme park quality ride in a small deployable scale. So we can roll out a Positron chair, put you in that, put a headset on and give you something that is, in my mind, really on par with these experiences that are rolled out at the huge theme parks like Universal or Disneyland. Um, we can bring that and deploy it as a branded experience and that to me is kind of amazing that someone walking down the street can see that and be interested, go and engage and have sort of this amazing experience that otherwise you'd spend hundreds of dollars, you know, a whole day of your time going to sort of seek out yourself and we're deploying that and rolling it out in, uh, in a really mobile way and that way of using VR to drop people into those worlds is, is really amazing. So obviously there's a, this whole thing about the year of VR and I mm. think the first time I heard that phrase was I think 20, maybe 2014, you've probably heard it a few years yeah. before that as well and I'm never quite sure what that was meant to mean and I'm pretty sure we never did actually have that year <laughs> but you know, there are people who said, oh, you know, VR is not, not going to work because the individual costs are so high. But now, and maybe we're spoilt in LA, but every shopping centre seems to have some kind of location-based experience. And there's pop-ups springing up everywhere. It's quite a broad question, but has, has VR reached its peak? Has it worked as a medium of outreach? Um, that's an interesting question, sort of multifaceted answer to it of... Um I don't think it's reached its peak, I think it's still evolving and it's exactly what you've talked about, it just sort of shifted. People realised, no, a family's not going to go home and a group of five people aren't going to sit in their living room together all in their individual headsets doing different things. Um, there's just a different outlet for it of those location bases are becoming a very genuine thing of, of walking into a mall and you see that branded experience um, and we're seeing just different styles of those campaigns. So uh, we did a, a Fanta 
which I'm not sure if you have Fanta here, it's a soft drink in, in the UK. Um, a Fanta uh, sort of Halloween horror experience that we rolled out to malls, and that wasn't necessarily VR-based, it was very location-based, where you go through a little haunted tent and there's all kinds of interaction points. But we see more and more of that style of campaign, and that becomes really important to people. So you have these really focused installation events, and VR is great for that. So it, it gives you the opportunity to roll out something on a, a massive, immersive scale. Um, I don't know if you've been to The Void and the kind of stuff that they're doing. With. Yeah, so they're a Utah-based company. Yeah. Um, so we've, I've been, I'm going to say it's too much, but I've been onto their sort of site up there and seen the undressed sound stages, which is very different to the exactly. experience when you're doing Ghostbusters or, or Star so Wars amazing. there. Like that, that duality of those kind of things, and we've created similar experience. We did one for Corona in Mexico City, where through a headset you're transported to what is, uh, you know, a lush landscape and beaches. And the whole idea behind that was the contradiction of you're in the heart of a uh, city. Of, I think it's about 20 million population. This massive metropolis, and we can bring a chunk of the wi wildlife and wilderness into the city. Um, and that's what VR allows you to do. Is that sort of amazing world building where what when you take the headset off and you look at it in bare bones that behind the scenes view that you were just talking about it's an empty room with some duct tape on the floor and maybe some sensors strapped to it yeah and you put on the headset and all of a sudden it can be whatever you want it could be you know a distant uh, galaxy world for uh the sort of uh, sci-fi minded or it could be a lush nature walk yeah so Obviously, I'm sure you have lots of friends who work in this industry, but I'm assuming you also have some friends who don't work in this industry. When you meet non-industry people and you, they ask you what you do and you tell them, are they instantly fascinated still, or is that beginning to wear off now? No, I think there is still deep fascination. I think, um, I mean, you can see it in, in the way that the film industry is going, that all the big blockbusters are these massive visual effects spectaculars and people are still fascinated by that uh, and I think uh, as people are getting educated it's not detracting from the magic if anything it's they appreciate it more they understand like these digital characters that they've fallen in love with mean something to them they understand that being able to engage and play with them on their phone is giving back to them that they appreciate that so I think uh, yeah I think when I speak to people who don't understand the technicalities of what I do, they still really appreciate it. Yeah. So what direction are we moving in? So obviously without giving away any state secrets, you know, as, as a company, what what's the next? We'll start with one to three years look like for the meal in terms of, is it just more of these experiences now it's better adopted or are you looking at new ways of delivering this stuff? I think it's going to be a bigger and more rapid change than you'd expect. Um, it's particularly around location-based. Um, I think you're going to see an explosion of venues that are, are really pushing the envelope in terms of what you expect out of a venue. That you're you're going to walk in, there's going to be you know uh, a digital element on a, on a much much grander scale, and the impact of how that sort of transforms that landscape and what you expect out of going to a venue is going to really change. Uh, and that will draw people back out again from their home. So, uh, you know, those entertainment companies realize the value in that and they realize that they have to uh, ante up and give people a reason to, to come out of their homes to stop uh, 
streaming TV and engage in like a physical structure uh, that they can't rely on what they've relied on before. So I think in those areas you're going to see a huge explosion and the digital layer to those kind of experiences and how it ties together with an online experience right down to how you book your tickets or how you first sort of engage with something that then leads you to a, a big physical installation is going to become huge. So I'm always interested by what people who work in this industry, particularly in the cutting edge of this industry, do in their spare time technologically. So I've talked to a couple of people who, you know, they're deep into it at work. When they get home, you know, it's off glass of wine and classical music and no headsets and no and none of that stuff. Where are you on this stuff? Are you a, a gamer and a headset user when you're not doing this stuff at work? Uh, no, not really. Um, I, I appreciate it, but uh, there is that divide, what you, you just talked about, of once I'm home, it's about family and uh, different things. The part that I struggle to stop more is the the researching and looking into the technicalities so I will find myself staying up far too late just reading through different articles finding out like I'll, I'll catch a thread about new technology and, and can't help but go down the rabbit hole of what how is it used why is it there what is it about what could we do with it um, so I do I do from that aspect but uh, um, it's not like you walk into my house and it's a, a technical playground of all kinds of different devices. So you mentioned family, so I've got, I've got two kids, seven and four, and they've, every so often I'll come back and I've got a headset knocking around from some business trip I've been on, mm. and I let them see you know, our latest showreel and they get very excited about stuff. And we've done a couple of the logo, location-based ones, but the obviously very low level, like the, the candy roller coaster, not any of the dinosaur stuff. In terms of engaging, I mean, they seem very comfortable putting on a headset and not finding it fascinating. I mean, they find it fascinating, but, you know, it's not so mind-blowing as I think it was for me the first time I did it as an adult. Yeah. Um, what do you think about sort of young people today and what they're getting access to and what they're growing up with? I think it's exactly what you just mentioned of, like, it will come down to the quality of the content to fascinate them, the, the sheer sort of technical wizardry will sort of... Uh, be superfluous to them because they're so used to it. Um, I've put my children in VR headsets and they, they shrug it off as like, yeah, it's not really any different to them than other screens. They're kind of interested in it, but it doesn't have that impact unless the, the media that they're watching is really interesting. Um, so I think it comes back to that core that we've discussed together a bunch of like, what is the quality of the storytelling, quality of the creative behind it, uh, what justifies whatever medium that you're using. You can't just make VR content for the sake of making VR. You can't just make AR sort of stickers and hope that they're fun. There has to be some sort of curation and thought behind it. Um, so I think that's that's where it will lead is. The, the new generation won't be so impressed with just the technology aspect of it. They will want to see, great, how does this add to the experience or the engagement point? Yeah. Now, my last question is always the same question. So you, I think you've listened to other ones of these, so you know this is coming. But if there was one technological change that might be coming that will change everything that you can do in your work life, what's the one that you think will be the, the game changer? That's an interesting 
Although I went back and listened to some of your other conversations, I, I hadn't had the forethought of. Uh, <laughs> you obviously didn't <laughs> listen. You obviously didn't idea. listen to the end, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to take a moment to think about that. There's there's certain technology that I find really exciting. Um, what is that transformation of of looking at screens? Like what breaks us beyond headsets? Um, uh, stuff like light field technology. So, um, I've always, I've been fascinated by the idea of, of light field screens. That it's rather than just being a two D screen, it's essentially the idea of like what would it be like if we could make uh, screens feel like windows into a different world. Uh, and I think that's what we're trying to edge away with with AR and VR. Um, uh, but some people that I know are really genuinely trying to develop that technology and to me there's something fascinating about that of what would it be like if we could put up a screen that you genuinely can't distinguish between whether it's a screen or a window into another space um, and I think that stuff is starting to trickle in uh, and what we do with that will be hugely interesting. Yeah. Gawain, thank you for your time and thank you for your insights. Oh, thank you very much, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Reality Show. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find us on social media at Reality Show Pod. Thank you.